Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. Hello there, this is Dusty Rhodes and welcome as always to our tech radio show for this week, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and indeed across the globe. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the weekend Friday the 20th of November where this week we'll be finding out about the Irish tech congregation that's getting bigger by being smaller. And we also chat with Fiona Byrne from Design Club. If you're into the kind of stuff that Johnny Ives does for Apple, you will love listening to this lady. But first, joining me as always is Niall Kitson from Tech Central HQ. Uh, Niall, it's, it's been a big week, news-wise, uh, with everything that's coming out of Paris and Beirut and uh, Nigeria in the last week. And naturally, this is causing headlines, but I'm kind of seeing stories circulating that have an effect on tech directly to do with all these stories. Are you kind of seeing that as well? Yeah, well, it's not, it's not you know heavy technology it's more the way the discussion around these horrible events is being disseminated and managed by both sides uh, I mean, we all know that ISIS for a long time or ISIL or Islamic State um, they they are becoming quite adept at using the internet uh, and the dark web to set up their own chat rooms uh, even their own dating websites if you can believe that but and uh, using Twitter to disseminate propaganda so it's proven to be a very powerful uh, tool for radicalizing and recruiting uh, on the opposite side however when you have uh, something as tragic and terrible as the the Paris attacks, you have this tremendous international outpouring of grief. Uh, all and it, it extends all the way down to people using French flag overlays on their mm. on their Facebook avatars. Just you know, uh, this token um, uh, sort of expression of support for the people of France. So I think it's very interesting the way the dialogue has been shaped on both sides, and that has really interesting ramifications for um, social networks. Um, for service providers, I mean, do, do you continue to offer the open web or do you start putting restrictions on which websites um, you allow your users to visit? Pretty much in the same way that uh, in the UK they're looking at putting in pornography filters um, as standard uh, with, broad, with some broadband services. Mm. Uh, I don't know, Dusty, well, what do you think? Should this affect the, you know, the... Well, as the you say, great I, I, marketplace of ideas. I, I've, I've noticed particularly with uh, 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 Paris and what has happened there is that the discussion has gone into high gear and now people are starting to make demands. Uh, and I'm not just talking about governments. Um, you know, the uh, uh, Anonymous, the, the hackers group, the French end of, of, of Anonymous have declared war themselves on ISIS, promising to wipe ISIS off the internet. And they started by, t- I don't know how they did it, but they started by taking down uh, five and a half thousand ISIS related Twitter accounts. Well, you have to take this with a pinch of salt because uh, Anonymous is a distributed consciousness. You know, it's a, it's a hacktivist collective. It could be one guy in Paris, could be one guy in Versailles, it could be one guy in Dublin. They, they could be Absolutely. No, I'm, it, it is only one thing, but, you know, kind of that announcement that they made and the way that they did it seemed to carry, you know, kind of a lot of gravitas. And whether there's anything behind it or not, it's just interesting that it's being uh, reported. And then also you're getting response then from, uh, I mean, Islamic State themselves. 
have responded to that uh, and they are saying that uh, uh, they absolutely uh, are the the owners of the virtual world I think was the expression that, that, that they came up with and that something is going to happen and something is coming and we should stay tuned and watch what they're going to do next. Now, as you say, it could be all talk, but what if they do something? And I th- I think it's interesting listening to uh, the Chancellor in the UK uh, where they're kind of saying, you know, we're worried about what they could do. If, if they're able to, you know, get into cyber attacks and war and attack infrastructure. So, I mean, if they were able to get in at the electricity or, you know, nuclear power stations in- into banking, what kind of damage yeah, could they and, do? And as we all know, over the past few years, um, private enterprise is not good at cybersecurity. If they can skimp on security to mm. save thousands, they will end up getting compromised and lose millions. But yes, this, this is the form. On on the other side of that, if they skimp on security, you've also then got governments who are saying, "Well, actually, hang on a minute. We want you to be secure, but we want to have our own backdoor key." into your security so we can keep yeah. an eye on what's going on. So what I'm thinking there is, you know, kind of a, a, you've got Facebook, you've got Apple, a, a Google and stuff like that and the encryption on their products. So, you know, kind of WhatsApp, everything is uh, encrypted on that. There's a, a credit um, from Russia, uh, Telegram, who are apparently a favourite of uh, ISIS and they're very like WhatsApp. You know, it's, it's very heavy encryption. People aren't able to read the messages but, you know, as an extra safety feature, if you want to put that, uh, uh, with Telegram, you can have self-deleting messages. So you can yeah, kind of say... And, and uh, BlackBerry Messenger as well. Yeah. Part of that selling point for years was that it was safe and secure. So that's beefing up uh, the security on, on one side, but yet the governments are kind of going, well, we want to have some kind of a backdoor key so that we're able to decrypt and see, but people aren't happy with that. Um, and I was, I was thinking of, you know, kind of government surveillance and what kind of stuff. We covered the EU safe harbour. Mm. Uh, thing where, you know, kind of American companies are shifting data from the EU back to the States, but the US government likes to take a look in there where they shouldn't. And there was a whole row about that. Uh, Edward Snowden and all the reservations that came out with him. Here at home, Irish Water asking people for PPS numbers. <laughs> that caused a storm. <laughs> Yeah, and and then not really doing anything with them, if memory serves. Starting with, we need them, then we don't. Yes, but I think that's where people are going, well, what do you need to know that piece of information for? Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's the key thing behind it. And all of these things are just starting to surface as a result of what happened last Friday night. And I just think it's more kind of interesting than anything else. I don't have an opinion. It's not anything I'm saying about it. There's nothing in particular I can put my finger on, but I'm just saying that because we're all interested in what's happening in the world of tech, that we should keep an eye out for that kind of tech angle when we're watching the news and just think about the the kind of implications for people generally. So that, good. That, 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 that's the, the, the main news story, really, that I kind of wanted to uh, get my, my, my hands out. Now, Fiona Byrne from uh, Design Club is an interview that we're going to have a listen to uh, in a little while. She's very like Johnny Ives uh, in, in design because she runs a design club. It's, it's not just graphic design. What else does she do? Uh, yeah, particularly she's looking at industrial design. So using design to solve problems. Uh, and she's also a Leaving Cert technology teacher. So she talks quite a bit about sort of syllabus and what kids are learning in secondary school and also what kids are learning potentially outside of the outside of the classroom. 
All right, Graham. Well, we'll have a listen to that uh, in around about 10 minutes' time. But first, uh, over in County Mayo, at the end of the month, there's going to be a the third instalment of Congregation, which is kind of one of the more interesting tech uh, conferences, I should say. And it's getting bigger by being kind of small. I spoke to Owen Kennedy, who was the, uh, or still is, I should say, the director of uh, Congregation, asked him, what's it all about? So Congregation is a digital media and technology unconference that takes place in the small village of Kong in County Mayo, home to movies like The Quiet Man and Ashford Castle. And the idea behind it is, is that it's a gathering of people where we use all the social venues around the town from coffee shops to bookstores to gift stores and people gather in groups of 10 where they discuss a post that they've submitted in advance. They're given 10 minutes to talk about their topic and the main focus really is to debate and discuss the topics that have uh, been presented. So rather than it being a room full of people with one speaker, it's one person talks about it, but really the, it's, it's just to act as a catalyst for the discussions and the conversations that can take place. And what kind of feedback have you been getting with this format over the last year or two? Do people prefer it, uh, you know, to be more interactive and actually have to apply brain power to these uh, conferences? Or do they prefer to just sit in a large room and listen to somebody waffle? So it's, it's, um, it's a funny, it's a good question because people who come to congregation get a huge amount from it. And you notice that from people who are coming back again or people who, as congregation finishes, are signing up again automatically for the following year. And the reason that this format isn't widely deployed is there's an enormous amount of logistics. And just to give you an example, just putting the blog post up is probably two to three weeks of solid work. So there's an enormous amount of administration work involved in it. But the actual experience on people on the day is massively different because rather than, you know, at a, at a conference where you hear something and you start to tune out after a while, everybody's going to present at this conference. So everyone's attention level is peaked for one. Then, you know, it's immediate it's immediate um, reason to give feedback and discuss something. And it feels like a really good quality conversation to have with somebody over a cup of coffee. So people's attention span is highly focused. And then because everyone is a peer, everyone has gone through the same pain of producing the blog post and there's a huge amount of respect for each other. So they're automatically peer level and it means that people connect and do things outside of congregation. So there's kind of almost a tribe-like feel to it. So that's that's the uh, conference itself uh, and the format. But what do people actually talk about? So it's really varied. So this year we've we've broadened it mainly because of feedback from other years. First year was all social media. Second year we broadened it out to a bit more digital media, and this year it's digital media and technology. So that ranges from uh, there's a good few on drones. There's a lot on virtual reality and augmented reality. There's some about mental health. Uh, there's some around content, some about building communities. Um, and so it's, it's hugely, it's hugely kind of varied. Some about um, the news. There's one really interesting one about the psychology behind the Ashley Madison attack uh, from a cyber psychologist. There's some about crowdfunding. There's some about the extinction of trust um, on the back of a book that somebody's kind of written. And all the way down to hyper-local and how to use Twitter on a, a local level. And then some people just telling their own story about how they've managed to live in Belmullet and build their business around social media. Uh, privacy actually popped up again this year. Actually, privacy is quite an important thing. 
So listen, uh, I'm just thinking that this is the third year and I know that it, it seems to be getting bigger and more successful every year. And I'm sure you're sitting beside the phone just waiting for a phone call from Portugal to say, uh, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, I believe uh, you're, you're hooking up with uh, Ashford Castle and, uh, and Mayo.ie, uh, who are new to the uh, congregation yeah, this year. Yeah, so the, the event itself is sponsored by Mayo.ie, Black Knight and MKC Communications. And because of that sponsorship and because of support from Ashford, we have expanded out to three days. So on the Friday night, we have a really interesting evening in the private cinema in Ashford Castle around the theme of uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. And the lineup for that is a guy called Damien Costello, who gives uh, about 10 minutes on the new world of disruption we're in. Nikki Gogan will present some drone, creative drone, drone video showing the new world as we see it from drones. A guy called Own Kidney is going to get everyone in the audience to make their own virtual reality headset from scratch and then put their smartphones into it. And we'll also talk about a virtual reality project he has done with Ulysses. And then the final part of augmented reality is broken into two sections. Bernie Goldback and uh, John Tierney, an archaeologist, will talk about a virtual reality project they have where... In essence, if you look at where a site's in Dublin, there might be no building there, but their project will, when you look through your browser or through the phone, you see what the building looked like uh, a couple of hundred years ago. You see who lived in it. If you scan left, an actress will pop up and tell you about everything that was happening back then. And then the second part of the augmented reality is a company called LogoGrab. And they essentially do augmented reality through the browser. So they're, they're coming down to talk about a project with Heineken, where you're sitting in a bar, you take a picture of the Heineken bottle from, uh, from the browser, and it, it brings you straight to special clips from the new Bond movie. You see, I'm, I, I'm positively salivating at the thought of all these things going on, and it does sound absolutely amazing. If you want to check out more about it, it's congregation.ie. It's taking place the last weekend in November. And Owen Kennedy, thank you so much for telling us more about it. Thank you very much, Dusty. Appreciate it. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. As we mentioned earlier, Niall Kitson, the editor of techcentral.ie, was out and about talking to uh, Fiona Byrne, who runs a design club in Dublin City. And it's not graphic design, it's not exactly what you think, it's more kind of Johnny Ives, more kind of high-end design and more a way of thinking about how things should look and how things should work. Fascinating interview, take a listen. I am out in Dublin Castle today for uh, sort of the second day of a two-day conference on universal design. Now, the name of the conference is Universal Design in Education. And I guess to look at the very basics of universal design, it could be something as simple as the ramp leading up to a hotel building. You know, just a, a little something that makes a place accessible to everybody, regardless of, you know, their ability, disabilities, um, size, and anything like that. And that same principle um, or that same perspective is now being applied to education, particularly in the subjects being taught, how they are being taught and how we, de- how we decide what kind of subjects are being taught at what level. Now, I'm here with Fiona Byrne, who is um, a teacher at Castlenock Community College, uh, and she teaches Leaving Cert Technology, but is also involved in putting together a short course for the Junior Certificate on Technology. So, Fiona, just to start, when I was doing technology in uh, secondary school, which I like to think wasn't 
that long ago. Technology basically consisted of a module in transition year where you were let loose in the computer room and some people knew how to use Windows and some people didn't. Um, now our understanding of technology is much more broad. It's sort of gone beyond ICT and very practical skills into sort of the that slightly more ephemeral area of design. So when we talk about design in the Leaving Cert, what exactly do we mean right now? Okay, so um, there's a new Leaving Cert subject. Uh, Leaving Cert technology was introduced eight years ago. Um, I've taught it for the last eight years and design is an integral part of that subject. Um, the student works through the, the standard kind of knowledge and experience that you would need to approach design. So they work through mechanics, um, electronics and control. They work through knowledge of materials and developments in wearable technologies. They look at manufacturing and areas like 3D printing. And the idea being that they acquire these skills in order to communicate their design thinking. So the Leaving Cert subject now... Students are giving a, d a design brief at the start of sixth year and um, they have until usually the March or the April, it's a six month period, to work through the design brief and um, they have to present a portfolio of all their sketches and kind of, um, I suppose it's like a visual story of their design thinking and then they have to manufacture their final product. So design is, it is quite an integral part at Leaving Cert, not so much at Junior Cert at the moment. The Junior Cert curriculum um, is quite outdated and there's not a lot of opportunity in the Junior Cert, current Junior Cert curriculum for design or for an acknowledgement at design. But the Leaving Cert curriculum is exciting, it's innovative, it's brilliant to teach, there's, it's quite intense and there's quite a lot of material to cover. But I think at the end we have quite competent designers who are very aware of their space and who are very aware of the practical elements of design which is project management, time management um, organisation of skills and the application of design. So when we look at design at the Leaving Cert at the moment, are the courses sort of prescriptive or do you get to sit down with the students and say look here's a problem let's try and f come up with a solution around it? Um, it depends really the, the brief that's delivered is what's called a thematic brief so you'll be given a general overview so for example um, last year's project um, or looked at water conservation um, the year before this year for example looks at um, dioramas and using um, using mechanics to basically um, influence advertising and that type of thing. Um, the focus of sorry, last year's project was actually relating to the UNHCR and the refugee crisis. Students had to focus on an area maybe to support a refugee in, in, in this situation. So, for example, some of my students um, looked at food management systems and incorporating pick control in food management systems. Others looked at, um, like one particular student felt that lighting in camps was an issue, so he brought in um, a kind of remote control lighting system that lit up derelict spaces within a camp. Um, other students might focus on health and well-being within the camp. So they're using pick control um, they're using um, various kind of sensing equipment to produce a final project. So when you're looking at the uh, range of hardware required to carry out these projects, it sounds quite, um, I don't want to use the word ambitious again, but quite, quite wide ranging. Um, I've noticed some hardware partnerships going on at the moment, uh, I think with the, the likes of Samsung and SolidWorks, um, to, to actually get more computers into schools that are equipped with 3D prototyping software. Um, you also made mention there of 3D printing. So... Uh, 
it sounds like an incredibly expensive subject to teach. So how many schools in the country are actually teaching technology or are we are we widespread um, yet? Are, are we on the verge of this subject becoming mainstream or are we still looking at it occupying a, a niche, maybe something like classics, where if a school has a particular interest in that subject, they'll offer it? I think, no, I think you're right. It is an expensive subject to, um, to teach, but it's really about the culture of the school. Like in my particular school, we have three... We, we tend to have three technology groups starting in first year. So there's there's an interest in, in technology and in design. There was, I think it was 1,600 students last year took the Leaving Cert in technology. Um, so it is quite it is quite a low a low level from that perspective, but I think it is growing. Um, there's also there's also a cultural change in design, um, and there's a, there's a move towards the awareness of the, the STEM subjects and the contribution that the STEM subjects can make to your wider education. Um, technology and construction, design, communication, graphics and engineering, they're considered sciences by a lot of the third level colleges. So for a lot of students who maybe just enjoy practical work or enjoy that type of subjects, they might take two. So they might take technology and construction studies and then that, that caters for their entry requirement for particular courses. Um, like It is an ambitious course. It's essentially a product design course at Leaving Cert. It, it demands a lot from the students. It demands a lot from an organisation perspective and it demands a lot from their thinking and their application. They can take it where they want to take it to. So if they want to produce a low level response to the brief, they can work through the marking scheme and do that. And you see the students that are just, that are, I won't say are designers, they are all designers from my perspective. But you can see the students that just have this hunger to produce something that they own, that's theirs, and that sense of autonomy with their project. And I think if, if they get to that point and if they have developed the design and the thinking skills to have that, that level of independence, that would really carry on for them and, and progress them at third level because they know how to work independently. Setting aside the uh, Leaving Cert for the moment, there are moves afoot to uh, implement sort of a similar curriculum at junior cert level. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, so um, the junior cycle, as you may be aware, is um, is changing. It's now referred to as the JCSE, which is a junior cycle student award. And um, within that, there is a selection of short courses. So we have a few curriculum changes for the standard subjects. And then we have a selection of short courses which are available to schools. The reason for the short courses is that um, at the end of the junior cycle programme, the students have to meet 24 statements of learning and these statements of learning vary from literacy and numeracy skills to active citizenship through creativity and the statements of learning are supported by six key skills, so a selection of key skills. Key skills covering areas like um, digital competency to communication to managing themselves. The idea being that the student is hopefully a more rounded learner at the end of the, the junior cycle award. From a principal's perspective, a school principal will need to create a junior cycle program that essentially ticks all of these boxes. So it ticks the 24 statements of learning. So because of that, these the short courses that are being developed are being developed to make sure that we fill, fill the gaps. Uh, that can be quite a daunting prospect from a, a teacher's perspective, particularly in a school where, say, they might have raised a lot of money and they've brought in a, a lot of new hardware, a lot of new equipment. Um, 
of course, part of the reason that I'm here today is to look at universal design. So uh, are we looking at a situation where we don't have to worry about the passionate, the passionate teacher who's a lone voice looking after the, uh, the ICT element of schools, which you've seen so often uh, over the previous years? Uh, what can be done to make a course like this palatable to people that wouldn't come from a technology background? Okay, so the course the course that we've developed, and by we, I mean myself and the NDA and NCAD, is a course which hopefully is very accessible to teachers. It's The teacher is supported through the whole process. So, and by supported, I mean we have the standard thing that a teacher needs, um, lesson plans, worksheets, um, uh, uh, like topics for extension and differentiation. So depending on how the teacher approaches this, the support network um, is in place. I think... Um, with with this, we we need to see this as it is a new way to approach teaching and learning. Um, we need to see that if a teacher graduates in English or graduates in maths, that there's opportunities for them as, as teachers and as professional developers to maybe extend their repertoire of skills. And that's where the short courses come into play, that a teacher, if they're not from a design background, they might have just have a personal interest in design and technology and say, this is something that I think I, or maybe they're coming from it, that they themselves have experienced issues with universal design. Maybe they're coming from it, that they themselves have a disability. And this is something that they want to introduce. So if we create a course that's supported and that the teacher has feels confident in delivering this the the outcome is slightly irrelevant in the sense that if a, if a computer teacher decides to teach this course or a, a teacher from a, a digital media background the output might be that students all create apps which relate to issues in their community and solving issues in their community Equally, if an art teacher takes this course on board, the end projects might be wireframe models using clay and papier-mâché, but they still address the issues, just the end product looks different. And equally, a technology teacher who is very experienced in mechanics and in electronics and materials, they might decide to say, well, I have, I have a group of students who are taking technology as a full junior cert subject, plus they're taking this universal design project. So with that, we're going to create projects that are almost like close to working prototypes. So it just gives more time, it gives more flexibility, and hopefully it's an organic course it's, that can change and adapt to the teacher and the teacher's experiences. Moving away from the school, uh, the school setting, you're also involved in an organisation called uh, Design Clubs, uh, which I guess uh, would be sort of the design corollary to uh, to a coder dojo. Would that be fair and accurate? I think so. Yeah. Um, I suppose the reason why I, I I set up a design club is that while I while I obviously um, see the benefits in in coding and in in that, that direction, I think students enjoy actually physically making and seeing seeing an end product, a tangible product that or product or service or system or whatever it needs to be that they can um, that they can see having an, an application. So I've noticed over the last few years that a lot of first years I would always do a kind of um, a prior learning assessment of first years, and a lot of students are coming in with uh, scratch um, scratch experience or coded dojo experience. So I needed to adapt my teaching style and look at kind of extracurricular activities which focused on that and fed into that and tapped into that but also gave that maybe some kind of a tangible essence or kind of built on that scaffold. So Design Club is about, it's about essentially giving students time 
to create time to develop, giving them the skills to design and to observe, to look around, to ask questions. And hopefully then it's it's not that we create um, extracurricular or we create skills that are just pigeonholed, that we start to collaborate our skills and see the transferable aspects of of all our skills because that's that's a 21st century learner. We, we do, we're not pigeonholed. We need to start to recognise that these these kids are going to need a wider variety of a skill base. Okay, thank you, Fiona. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Fiona Byrne from Design Club. That's almost it for our show this week. Niall Kitson uh, still with us. Niall, what is our one more thing for this week? Yeah, well, you might remember that uh, Jack Dorsey is double-jobbing as a CEO of Twitter and Square at the moment. Twitter not having great financials lately. Uh, and it looks like Square is going to go for its IPO. But uh, to say it's going to be a bumpy ride might be something of an understatement. So go on to techcentral.ie and find out more. Remember, you always get hourly updates on tech news along with daily newsletters uh, from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital radio with RTE Radio and Extra. That's it for myself, Dusty Rhodes, and Nile at Tech Central HQ. Until next week, take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.